Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick and thank you for joining me again for this particular podcast. One of the big issues that people have been throwing around, whether it's the government through its various educational initiatives or other people suggesting what people might do with a lot of spare time when they're hunkered down in lockdown mode, we're still in lockdown mode in Melbourne, um, is the whole concept of doing um, a course whether it's a one-unit course, an online course, or a, a TAFE certificate, or a, uh, a master's degree through a university, people have been focused on what people can do when they're in lockdown. Now, there are tax consequences to some of this, so I need to explore this with Lisa Gregg, um, our tax guru and tax trainer and knowledgeable person on all things tax, so we'll, we'll dive right into it. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing very well, Tommy. Um, we're past curfew, so I've got nowhere else I'd rather be. Uh, at home. Okay, this is good. Now, in in terms of education, where people know what's out there, generally speaking, uh, they know what's being offered, um, but they won't always understand what the tax consequences are. If they're doing, if somebody undertakes a course of study, um. Should they assume that it will automatically be deductible? Well, Tom, I'd say contrary to that, I'd say assume that it's not deductible is probably more likely. It's always safer to be that way. Why? Because the way our tax rules work is that the deductibility or the allowable deductions or whatever term everyone's comfortable with has to be linked to earning accessible income or income, revenue, all those sort of words. So what we're saying is that any deductions you make have to have a direct nexus or connection with earning that income. And what you usually find with people doing some interesting courses and things like that, you know, most of the time it's looking for a sea change, looking for a change of career, looking to to add extra strings to their bow. And most of those seem to be, when you talk to many taxpayers, it's it's definitely a branching out on what they're doing now. It could be a whole different tree if we want to use that analogy. But it's very much a, a totally separate endeavour. The only way that further studies, education and gaining micro-credentials can be linked is whether when it's going to enhance someone's current role where they're earning that accessible income. So if you're um, a manager in an organisation and you go off and do an MBA, you can see where there's a connection with that. You can see that that's going to enhance their career prospects in the vocation that they have chosen. Where if someone's a barista and they decide they're going to do some you know, online coding course, for example, there is no connection with that whatsoever. You know, even if they decide they're going to build a website for the cafe that they're baristering for, it's still too still too remote, as we say, for, for that connection. So in in effect, you need to have that responsibility. Um, let's uh, concurrent to the study uh, for that for a study to be deductible. So if you're the IT person or a graphic designer for a company, you're doing a course that links to graphic design, 
which is part of your work responsibility, then you're more likely to be able to get that as a as a tax deduction. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tom. One of the favourite um, examples the ATO use in a lot of their communication is, say you're working in an organisation, a salary and wages employee, um, and you go off and do a first aid course. Now, all of us know it's really good to learn CPR because it's, it's very beneficial, but you can't deduct that if you pay for it yourself unless you are the first aider on site. And then the question I usually ask taxpayers when they've gone off and done a, say, the St John's course or something like that, I've gone, if you're a first aider, well, if you're a first aider, then wouldn't have the company that you're working for have paid for it? So then you sort of start probing and they go, oh, yeah, I did get reimbursed for that course, Lisa. And I go, well, okay, if that's the case, then we're definitely not deducting it. And that's and it's it's those sort of small little micro-credential courses that you go off and do uh, that uh, are definitely not deductible. You know, you could say that, you know, you, you go off and do a yoga course, for example. It's all these these sort of ones that always are very popular with ATO examples, Tom. You go off and do a yoga course. Well, it could be for, you know, uh, the well-being of yourself and you might actually do some, you know, team-building exercise where you do a few downward dogs or whatever. But in, unless there's a d- definite connection with your role, um, it's those deductions are really going to get knocked on the head and rejected by either myself but definitely by the ATO. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting area to look at. Um, if we look more closely at um, defining what people uh, can claim, or what's the what's the how do we express that word of thumb? I know we've sort of put put a bunch of words around it in what we've said thus far. How do you, what's the easiest way for people to walk away from listening to this to think about the education side of things? My rule of thumb in my practice, and I did mention MBA, for example, okay, is that if I consider it a little bit a stretch or a little bit a bridge too far for a course that's going to get linked like an MBA, depending on where they are um, in the seniority of an organisation, what I yeah. ask for is a letter from their line manager, their employer or whatever that says that this course will enhance their current role. And then a lot of times the employer will have a few caveats on that letter and saying that, um, you know, we're not prepared to fund it. Uh, we will provide you know, two days annual leave for study or something like that. There's usually some caveats around it, but definitely um, I request a letter from the employer as substantiation to say, yes, Tom's doing an MBA because it's going to uh, improve his current role uh, and we support support him maybe emotionally in, in doing that course, but not financially. And that's where that credibility, you know, comes into saying, yeah, that's the support that we need to be able to have it deducted. Um, I've got a client who's who's a nurse and she's doing an MBA and I've just gone, mm, I think that could be a little bit remote, but she went and got a letter and said, no, she's about to, you know, take on more responsibility. She's going to have more of a senior, senior leadership role in the organisation and that will definitely enhance it. So it's, so it's all good that way. Okay, so it, it, the course somebody undertakes 
needs to be linked inextricably. It needs to be linked directly rather with the the job role one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And then it becomes a little bit grey, let's say, and I'm using MBA as an example, but say someone goes up and does an executive MBA where they've actually taken a sabbatical from their role, um, then you're actually looking at it and going, okay, well, they're not actually uh, generating any accessible income at the time, but there's still enough of a link because they'll be going back into that role. So that's when it starts getting a little bit of grey at times, Tom, but um, there's plenty of um, guidance from the ATO on these sort of um, areas and subjects but I think what's interesting um, in the current COVID environment there's a lot of people that are looking for say more side hustles if I can call it that um, you know the gig economy are the ones that are really suffering you know hospitality entertainment event management those sort of things which are totally shut down still here in in Melbourne town and those are the kind of people I mean I saw an ad saying do you want to be a bookkeeper I'm going to go and do a bookkeeper training course um, your course cert for you can do it online and all those sort of things but you know doing that course even though you're going to hopefully generate some income from it it's because you're not generating anything now um, it, it, it's not deductible for tax purposes that's actually a, a very clear example because right now in lockdown mode people are probably thinking what in heaven's name are they going to do with the education, um, uh, the education they're um, sort of thinking about? Because what we're going to see is a lot more people uh, sitting at home, worrying about the future of you know, their employment and perhaps looking to recraft it. And the risk, risk in people not understanding what they can and cannot claim is that they may um, yeah, they may go down a pathway where financial considerations are going to make things a bit more, I guess, typical for them. Yeah, exactly, Tom. And it sort of, if you look at the extension of, we're talking about um, education sort of uh, expenses and things like that. If you look at an extension of your home, you've been stood down or you've lost your job and you go, oh, I need a new computer, I'll go and buy a new computer. You're even going to watch... The deductibility of that because even though you've bought it and you will use it for your future job but when you bought it there's no accessible income connected to it so you just go whoa you know that's not deductible at the moment for for that person we may be able to deduct it down the down the road when they're back um earning income and they're using that computer to earn that income but we've just got to look at that lull period and i think a lot of people especially with uh, the promotion of uh, more vocational courses and things like that that are coming from the media as well. It's very important that the listeners understand that if it is too soon, it's not deductible for tax purposes. And a lot of people think that it would be. And it's sort of, you can understand how, how, how it is with the way that it's framed and crafted um, out there in the communication messages. But I think it's very important that you don't get surprises when you go and get your tax done. Um, Ab absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because the, the thing that people should not be doing is walking into a, in to see a tax agent like yourself and 
you're saying, well, I've done all this training. How good is that? How much can I get back from the AGO? And the answer, the question will be, are you building a career from your study or are you are you buttressing what you're already doing with new knowledge? Correct. Correct. And that becomes your that becomes your problem because if the job you've been sitting in isn't there for you, then how on earth are you gonna be able to um, do anything with that particular course. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it in extension, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about this as we're discussing it as well, Tom, say you've got someone out there that's on JobKeeper, they're getting their 1500 a, a fortnight, uh, and they're uh, sitting at home because for whatever reason their premises are shut and they can't do any other work. Um, you know, Even if they're doing some online course that costs them $100 or whatever, it's still got to be representative of what that $1,500 a fortnight represents, if that sort of makes sense to you. There's still got to be that connection of even though you're not doing anything to earn that income, you're, that, that um, connection between the employee and the employer is still relevant when we're looking at deductibility. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it kind of ties in with some of the issues we've spoken about before on the deductibility of things and how deductibility um, plays out. You know, how much, for example, if you're normally working at an office, <laughs> which not many people are doing at the moment down here, but... Um, you know, there is a certain amount you may be able to claim a percentage of your usage of home internet or whatever uh, that you can attribute to some aspects of work if you work from home, but it doesn't mean you can claim everything. Yeah, exactly, Tom. And I think that where most people fall foul of those sort of rules, where they're pretty aware when it comes to uh, mobile phone plans and internet usage and things like that but somehow the motor vehicle sometimes goes a bit awry on that and but then in COVID land we're not driving around anyway so you know the the cars should be pretty much kept in the in the garage or in the carport at the moment but that's one thing where that apportioning seems to lose a bit of logic in that in that respect. Yeah, um, and the first question the ATO would ask is, what were you doing driving around racking up all the kilometres? Well, exactly. And, I mean, it's it's been well um, signalled by the ATO for uh, this tax season that we're doing now that uh, they're expect anticipating our work-from-home expenses will increase and our kilometre claiming will decrease. Uh, we've got to look at that averaged over and I think that's one thing that doesn't seem to be coming out in the thought process of uh, the media and the ATO is that it's only 25% really that we've been hampered for the year if you want to think about it because it's really only been from sort of March, April, May, June uh, and some some territories, some states have been able to uh, reinvigorate themselves to some extent but uh you know we're not seeing we won't see a huge dip we're going to be seeing that you know 25 to 30 percent sort of dip 
in those sort of expenses and probably for some would increase a lot for their working from home expenses because there may be people that are now working from home that have never envisaged working from home before and they don't do their couple of hours a night or, you know, the couple of hours of the weekend that they're used to because their positions never required it. But now they're actually full-time working from home and they're the um, leniencies that the ATO have given in this COVID to be able to uh, do the straight 80 cents an hour rate for them during during COVID period where that's all you claim. You don't need to worry about internet, mobile, PC depreciation, desk and chair depreciation. You can just take the straight 80 cents. Um, and I think, I would feel that the ATO would be quite lenient um, with with that sort of calculation. In other words, you'll be working, you know, th- you, you're 37 and a half hours a week at 80 cents and we actually have to put it down as a certain code when we do tax returns for that. And I'm thinking that would probably go through fairly smoothly for most taxpayers. Yeah, that's it's interesting, but uh, people need to remember that it they will need to um, actually get themselves... A, uh, firm advice on their situation because just following a, a rule of thumb may not necessarily give you the best um, best outcome. Oh, absolutely, Tom. I mean, as I said, it's for those people that would never work from home that that 80 cents is going to be appropriate for. They've never claimed any work from home expenses in the past. So I'm really talking yeah, yeah. about the... Uh, you know, the, the, the call centre operators that, you know, you see advertised on the TV and those sort of people where they're just working from home with the dog licking their feet, so to speak. Um, they're the kind of kind of people that will definitely benefit from uh, the uh, 80 cents amount uh, and they're getting their normal salary. They're just working their, their full week of work from home. And, you know, for that, it should be quite straightforward for for those people, and I would even say to be able to do a, a nice, you know, my tax, my gov type tax return, and be quite confident that they're okay with that, if that's the case. Yeah. Is there anything else uh, in the education space people need to uh, be conscious of um, at the moment, Lisa, in terms of tax? Well, I think it's all happening at the moment. From what I've been hearing, Tom, is just the cost of tertiary education. Um, we've talked about it on previous podcasts, but uh, what the humanities courses are costing and things like that, I think they're still trying to just work out what that amount is. Um, however, I know you've had previous podcasts with other academics and subject matter experts that basically said it shouldn't have an impact on people wanting to do the course that they do want to do but that's sort of what's happening um i'm just finding that there's still a lot of my uh friends who are academics that are still working very hard and probably being overworked because there's no casuals like you and i i know both of us do some casual work for the various uh, faculties and institutions uh you know they're basically managing everything through uh, online well, the, the, and the, just the trying casual, to make yeah, well, um, cas- ends meet with it all, as we do understand. Uh, the, the casual market has basically gone dead. Um, I mean, you know, at, at one point, um, I think I'm now a non-person on one one uh, uni's employment system because 
the the COVID environments created a situation where you know, the, the, the casual cohort has been literally culled. Which is a cha- which is a yeah, challenge exactly, for but I mean the, the university yeah. sorry. Yeah, I mean it did Yeah, no, the, uni- I was just sort of saying, the like university it's... sector is oh, we're talking over each other, sorry, Tom. That's <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's all good. Um, but yeah, the sectors sort of, as you were no doubt about to say, sectors contracted, repeat, the cohorts are smaller, uh, and the unis uh, are relying on permanent staff a heck of a lot more. Yeah, exactly, and um, it's quite interesting. I'm actually involved with the Melbourne Uni Tax Clinic, uh, helping vulnerable taxpayers sort out their tax affairs, and uh, we started that. Uh, must have been not last last week. The week before was the first kickoff because it's ran through um, that the second second semester, and uh, I was pleased to uh, see all the the bright eyed and bushy tailed um, JD students from Melbourne Uni uh, helping out with the tax clinic, getting all excited, talking to real clients, and we're managing that totally over the, over the Zoom platform. And I must say, for the kickoff session, it worked a treat. I think everyone was quite happy with it. Really pleased when uh, we helped the more senior Australians as well, and they're managing their Zoom and they're talking about MyGov. It got me quite excited um, that uh, we're uh, managing it quite well. So yeah, I, I, even though you and I are not doing casual work, we're still helping out where we can, and I'm very pleased to say that. Um, the, uh, especially Melbourne Uni with the tax clinic, it's still battling on uh, the same way that it has been and uh, hopefully be another fantastic success for this semester. Well, that's, some, uh, that's an option some people won't be aware of, that there are uh, these kinds of clinics around the place. That's perhaps something to explore next time in terms of what these clinics are, what they do, how they operate. Uh, so people who need a bit of help, but they... They're uh, they're not certain about going to a tax agent. May choose to try one of these um, t- tax tax clinics. Yeah, they get vetted, Tom. So it's not someone that's got a heap of money and they just don't want to pay for a tax agent. That's not what it's there for. It's more the vulnerable or the people that have that are having a few issues with the ATO because they were just not aware of their rights. And uh, that's where uh, myself, as 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 one of the the supervising practitioners, and it's definitely run by the students. It's for them to get education as well with those things. But yeah, we can talk about that later. But it's um yeah, so this kicked off last year, the first time Melbourne Uni ran the tax clinic. It came from um, WA. They did a trial uh, in WA a few years beforehand. So now there's a, quite a number of universities that are that are running tax clinics um, to. Uh, help the practitioners so it's it's, it's so to help the uh, the vulnerable taxpayers so it's uh, it's it's a good thing uh, to to help them out and it's also excellent to give the students exposure to talking to clients and really understanding the nitty-gritty of what happens out there in the tax world it's not just all about legislation it's all about administering the tax law and uh, what's the right outcome for the taxpayer I think it's the difference between an academic understanding of the subject matter and being able to apply it. Mm. And that's where the tax clinics are particularly good as a concept because unless you're forced to apply something in practice, sometimes you live in a fantasy land. 
Um, and that's part of the part of the beauty of the idea, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now we've probably uh, given people enough on education this podcast. So just to quickly wrap, just to quickly sum up things. Uh, firstly, if you're doing a course right now that is related to something you wish to do in years to come, not related to what you are doing now, it's less likely to be deductible. But if you're doing something that is relevant to your job right now, that is relevant to earning income, accessible income, then it's likely to be deductible, but seek advice on the issue. Don't just uh, don't just make the assumption. Uh, there we go, Lisa. That, 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 that was a good, uh, good overview of that particular topic. Uh, thanks for joining me again. Absolute pleasure, Tommy. Wouldn't be anywhere else on a Thursday evening in lockdown. <laughs> okay, Lisa, thanks for that. And to the listeners out there, stay safe, look after each other, and we'll be back uh, sometime over the next week for some more talk about tax issues. <laughs>